and that one's going, and that one's going. One, two, three. All right. Good morning, Marguerite. Good morning, Marie. So um, for our audience, just give us a little idea as to um, your background. Um, well, I grew up here in Southern California in East County. Um, I was born in the Midwest. My family moved out here when I was a baby in the early 70s. And so I had a great um, childhood growing up in Rancho, what is now Rancho San Diego, which was then just La Mesa <laughs> on the edge of, sort of the edge of civilization. There was, at that point, there was a lot of open space where you could go ride your bike, before there were big housing developments and a lot of open canyons. Um, what we all remember California used to be. Right, yes. right, yeah. Um, no cell phones. No cell phones. <laughs> there, was, there, was a, there was an egg ranch right next to my elementary school, and on days wind was blowing in the wrong direction, you would really get, you would, you would have the smell, strong smell of chicken manure. Um, yeah, so yeah, um, and my my father was a surgeon, and my mom was a stay-at-home mom, and I have a brother and a sister, both older, I'm the youngest. Um, so you, you basically, you're a Californian. You're a I, California gal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, did you spend a lot of time in the kitchen when you were a kid? I did. Um, I, um, I always... From, I mean, I always like to make my own snacks, and you know, there was microwaves were big in the '70s, so I had several <laughs> microwave recipes um, that I had come up. One was, you know, come up with one was frosting. Um, you know, uh, we had uh, my grandparents had run a restaurant in Detroit for a while, and so the family dish from that was sort of passed down a little bit from the restaurant was a sizzle burger. <laughs> and it was sort of a hamburger with every seasoning. By the time it got to me, it was sort of a hamburger with every seasoning and spice in, in the cabinet put on it. Uh, but it was a fun way to experiment. And now, did your mother cook? She did. She made, uh, we sat at the table every night pretty much. A very nuclear American family um, with glasses of milk and a bread... <laughs> A, a special bread warmer and that had little rolls in it or bread in it. Um, and um, homemade dinner every night. She was a great cook. Um, Did you cook with your mom? or Some. Yeah. Some, yeah. Um, I certainly learned a lot of stuff from her. Um, and, and, um, and then um, was able to sort of, there wasn't a whole lot of, I could kind of go in the kitchen and do what I wanted to do. I didn't, nice. you know, yeah, it was nice. Um, now, did you, any of your siblings kind of pick up on that, that culinary gene? No. Um, my sister now, really, she throws dinner parties. She lives in D.C. She throws dinner parties regularly and is, is quite into cooking. At, at that point, we would make cookies together and that sort yeah. of stuff. Um, some of us are late bloomers, like myself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, so yeah, she's, she's definitely into it now um, as an adult. I don't know that. She was older than I was, so uh -huh. she was uh, five years older than I was. So it was a little... So she was out doing some other things. Yeah, yeah. By the time, by the time I was sort of conscious of her, she was sort of over, over <laughs> me. So. So, well, so 
I know that you have um, built quite the reputation, especially uh, with your time at Starlight, which used to be my favorite haunt, and um, dinner stop before going to the back patio and then on over to Arrow and filtering my way through the whole Little Italy area. But uh, tell us about your time at Starlight, because I think that's probably the most, um, what a lot of people will remember you from, because you spent quite a few years there. Yeah, um, so I was fortunate to come into Starlight when they were uh, just opening. And um, the people who were, who were starting the kitchen at that point, Kathleen Wise, who's now the chef there, and Travis Murphy and myself, we had all worked for Michael Stebner, um, who ran Region in Hillcrest and had been at 910 prior to that. And so we all worked for him in various capacities and all had worked for him um, either because of his local cuisine ethos or had, or had really, or had picked it up from, from there. And that was, um, so we all had this sort of mindset of, Let's use as much, you know, let's, at that point, Region had closed, and um, we all really liked the products that we had been able to work with under him, and we just really wanted to sort of recreate, recreate's not the right word, but use, use that, use these really excellent products that were available to us in Southern California in a way that was accessible and affordable and would fit into this, at that point, sort of unique model that Starlight had, which was sort of a bar, yeah, half bar, half restaurant kind mm -hmm. of feel. Um, you know, I would talk to people even even then that were like, I have no idea Starlight even served food, you know. <laughs> That's how strong the drinks were. But <laughs> <laughs> they were fantastic. Yeah. But you, they guys, are, yeah. uh, you guys there, I, I, I know, we touted it all the time, best Moscow mule in town. Right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, and I... And I I love the feel of walking into Starlight because I remember you walked out and talked to guests all the time. It wasn't, it was, you, you know, you'd first walk in, it was a beautiful architecture, and then you'd walk in, your eyes would adjust a little. <laughs> yes, yeah, so it was a little, little cave-like, yes. <laughs> and then once you sat down, it was, um, it was a different environment at that time, right? I think now we're a, a little more accustomed to that type of um, feel when you walk into a restaurant, but I do remember Starlight was accessible, and nice, like it was still a nice restaurant. You're going out for a nice meal. You're, it was a, something special. It wasn't as you know so casual. But then you felt special being in there because all the staff made you feel special. The chefs were coming out and speaking with you, and you know, and checking up on the food and making sure everything was okay. And usually, I especially at that point would only be able to relate that to an incredibly high-end restaurant mm, where anybody mm -hmm. cared about the consumer, you know, the, the client. It was only the front of the house that took care of that. And really, unless you were at that high-end restaurant where it was a white linen table, you didn't get that interaction. And everything was so casual in that manner with the interaction with your bartender. Your mixologists were great inside the restaurant and out, you know, in the back patio. The chefs were always attentive and kind of making sure things were being presented the way you intended as the chef. And, and so that, you know, for that, I know that Starlight had that special sort of connectivity, which wasn't all that common at the time. Right, yeah, and I think that starts, I think that probably... You know, Starlight was started by um, a lot of very creative people. It wasn't started by um, restaurateurs, really. I mean, Tim Mays, who, um, you know, owns the Casbah and at the time owned the Turf Club and 
um, owns Krakatoa. You know, he has a few hospitality-related businesses, but he's primarily, you know, he's the he's the <laughs> the, the father of the the alternative music scene in San Diego. And Matt Hoyt um, is an incredibly creative um, producer of films and video and and all and all kinds of different creative projects. And so the the pool that they drew from were you know, a lot of musicians and artists and people who really passionate people. Passionate and people who really wanted, you know, they wanted to, they they want to integrate their job into their life, not necessarily just, you know, I'm just gonna work this job. Um and that was true in the kitchen as well. We all were very, you know, um really cared a lot about what what went out and really put a lot of our energy and creativity into creating things there and um, so it was you know it has that sort of personal um, interaction of people who who really feel like they um, have a an invested interest in in something right. and um, so I think I think it that sort of energy really carried through um, to to the food and the service and certainly the drinks. Kate, uh, Kate McWilliamson, um, who started the bar program there, was just you know very passionate about um, about mixology and you know and create you know and that. And at that point, there weren't so many like you know local tincture companies right. to do to mm-hmm. make um, artisan bitters, and she was you know she was doing all of that, and so it was a little I think a vanguard of of that of what has become pretty pretty, pretty normal yeah, yeah pretty ubiquitous in san diego and um i would agree because i mean it was and that i think was was a lot of its success in the beginning because it was a it was a forward-thinking concept to incorporate all of that and it was by far one of my favorite places at the time because i didn't feel out of the place Right, yeah, you could go in and be, I think you could go in and be, you know, you didn't have to, you didn't have, you could, you could get in for a drink and a dinner for 20 bucks, Mm -hmm. and you didn't have, you could dress how you wanted to dress, you didn't feel like you're, you had to be going out to dinner with your parents, or, you know, that, that sort of thing is sort of a... Well, and it was a great it was a great way to bring people together in in a in a very unique space. We all you know it was a beautiful space and it was something special for us. I know so that was all, always yeah that was a big part of uh, of a lot of memories. Birthdays of everybody. I mean, a friend had the wedding in the back once. You know, and so it's you know it was a big part of sort of this this growth of um, of San Diego's culinary and bar scene that was elevated to a point that was accessible to so many. And that's what I loved about Starlight. You know, it, it gave that to San Diego. And now, you know, this is the norm. This is what we expect. Right. Yeah. We expect the food to be good. We expect the drinks to be good. Subpar doesn't cut it anymore, but we don't necessarily need to make it feel as if it's um, out of reach. I love I love that. It's, yeah. It's it's affordable, it's accommodating and and you know, and it started there with with you, your team, and the other people that had the same kind of passion you had. Um, one of the things that I that I have to tell you is, I gave you a call to ask you to be on the podcast, and I had put something on my Facebook, and I said, "All right, who's the most interesting person you know?" 
I instantly, within moments of that going live, I had a little private message in Facebook from Julie Darling. Marguerite, you've got to go and interview Marguerite. She is the most interesting gal I know. <laughs> I know there's got to be some stories behind that friendship because for Julie Darling of um, Just Call Us Volunteers and Just Call Us Catering, uh, She's a pretty darn interesting person in the first place. So for you to be that that impressed, per, for you to have impressed her on that same category level, I know there's got to be a special relationship. <laughs> uh, well, let's see. Um, well, Julie, you know, Julie came into my life uh, when I was still working at Starlight, and she really opened up a different part of um, a different part of the culinary world for me in that. At the time, she was at Olive Wood, and she was creating their their um, or had created their their education in kitchen education program, and she we met at a we met at a like one of those healthy eating outdoor <laughs> events. events. You know, she was in the booth next to mine, and um, and. So she tagged me to, you know, she's like, oh, you should come down and, you know, teach these kids, you know, some, some, how to cook some stuff. And, um, and, you know, she's, she is an incredible networker. Julie <laughs> is, she is really, she knows a lot of people and she really, um, is good at, at, um, pulling you in to, to do things. And, um, so I went down and have you been to Olive Wood? I have. Yeah. Uh, it's amazing. It is. It's amazing. And <laughs> and so I got, you know, started going to this beautiful mansion almost um, on this hill in National City that is, you would never know mm -hmm. that it was there and this, you know, turn of the century building and surrounded by these beautiful gardens and teaching, um, spending, you know, half the day or 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 a little bit more teaching groups of 12 at a time kids how to cook stuff in the kitchen, elementary school kids. And it was tons of fun. And, um, and it really, I hadn't really taught other than training, you know, my mm -hmm. cooks in the kitchen, that sort of thing. I hadn't really taught before. And I just really, really enjoyed it. Um, and it was really fun to work with kids. And it was a really beautiful place. And so that really just started a whole sort of new thing. And I would go do that occasionally. And that sort of started a friendship with Julie and I. Um, and um, she has a lot of different projects. <laughs> and, She's a busy gal. And so when I left, after I had left Starlight, um, and I had a little more flexibility with my schedule, she would, you know, every once in a while call and say, like, hey, do you want to do this? Or do you want to do that? Or can you come work catering? Or, um, and... Um, So you guys have really spent a lot of time in the kitchen together, personally, and with some of the projects. I know that you do a lot of volunteering, too, for Just Calls Volunteers. Uh, I, 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 ha I have. I Right now, I'm a little remiss, on my, but I am trying to open a new restaurant, so I, my volunteering is, has, has dwindled in the past few months. But, um, yeah, we... we, um, we she, she met somebody who wanted to have... Um, she wanted to have cooking classes at their uh, it was low income um, housing developments and so we drove all over San Diego County uh, <laughs> with burners and food and cutting boards and knives and we would go to these different communities and set up shop and teach you know health you know teach 
quinoa and kale salad and um, how to roast vegetables and make your own salad dressing and healthy proteins to, you know, once a week to, to groups of sometimes, sometimes it was seniors, sometimes it was moms and kids, a variety of, of, of people. And that was, I think that really cemented a friendship with us that sort of just sort of like, let's, okay, let's put it all in the truck. Let's <laughs> pull it all out and let's go. We would teach, you know, we would teach four or five different recipes a day. And, and, um, it was, it was great. It was a great, um, great opportunity. We sometimes up in, we were up in Temecula at one point cooking outside of a rec room, you know, <laughs> it, it, and, and having, and having the class participate in it too, which is really, uh, such a key thing when I think when you're teaching cooking is to have people doing hands-on, um, hands-on things so that they have that experience of like, oh, I can do this, and, and having, feeling themselves doing it as just as opposed to the sort of abstract concept of watching somebody right. doing it and well, then and translating it. having someone physically there to give feedback, too, I think is, is amazing, because you never quite know if you're doing it right, if you're following a YouTube video, mm, or you're mm-hmm. reading out of a book with pretty pictures, or, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, but having that interaction, I think, is yeah. like, did I do this right? Right, <laughs> right, know? yeah. It, 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 I think makes you feel a little more confident about your cooking. Like I said, I'm a late bloomer in the cooking world. My mother didn't let me in my kitchen. Mm. I was never allowed in the kitchen because she just didn't want me in the way. Right. So I was a late bloomer. And I can understand that that, that interaction, having somebody there who knows better, <laughs> kind of look over the shoulder and, you know. Um, so then with, with all of that, what did you, so where did you get your start? And what was your, what was the aha moment that made you decide this is what I want to do with myself. I want to be in a kitchen. I want to be cooking. Mm. Um, I, uh, so it was an av- I, I always was an avid home cook. And um, when I was in my late teens, early 20s, living, you know, my first apartments, um, I was the obligatory vegetarian for a while <laughs> growing up in California. And um, I would, you know, make food that, you know, pleased me. That was, you know, it was hard. That was... The, the late 80s mm-hmm. and it was hard to get you know there was not a lot of there were not a lot of vegetarian options out there there were a few good ones but um and then um in the mid 90s I moved to New Orleans no way. with my girlfriend at the time and um there I um got a job with AmeriCorps um at that time doing house repair and renovation for elderly and disabled low-income residents. It was a great opportunity. I got to work with people. I got to work with a lot of different people I wouldn't necessarily work with. And I got to go into different parts of the city that I would, I would not have any cause to go into. And I got to work on these beautiful old buildings, some of them um, over 150 years old, you know, really. And it was just an eye-opening experience. Working for AmeriCorps, which is, uh, which was a government program where people used to pay their student loans off, um, or you got you you were paid a small living stipend and you got an educational award. And um, when that is, it was a two-year program. When it was over, I hadn't had any student loans. I had gone to community college here, at the, which at that point was just about free, <laughs> and uh, I think it was you know. 20 bucks, you know, a semester or something like that for, you know, and um, 
five bucks a credit. I don't yeah, remember. It was remember crazy. You know, the college way back when yeah. was, was a nice option to <laughs> yeah. keep those costs down. Um, and so I had an educational award. And in order to use your educational award, you had to go to school. <laughs> so I went to the local community college in New Orleans. And at that point, I had, I had gotten a job. Um, I was working at a little like, coffee shop. Slinging espresso and making a, making a little bit of like a little daily lunch special, just sort of like a pot of rice and like a vegetarian salad to go on top of it. And a friend of mine had asked me if I would come work at the Italian restaurant she was working at um, in the kitchen um, because the chef needed a couple days off. And that was my first experience cooking on a line. I was a little pizza and pasta place and I got put on the the pasta line, cooking saute stuff, which is unheard of if you, when you sort of go through the, regu the regular way you get into a kitchen is not, you don't go to, right to the saute station. <laughs> but I did it and it was so much fun. It was just the best, the best time working. And um, I didn't know at that point, I didn't know that you were supposed to prep also while you were working. And so I got in trouble with the chef for using up all of his prepped ingredients and not filling them up. I had no idea. He wasn't around when I was working. So I just had, I had no training. I had no idea what was going on. You just jumped in. Yeah. Um, and so from that experience, when, when um, it came time to use my educational award, I went to the local community college, which is New Orleans. They have a wonderful culinary program there. Um, they said, uh, we can, um, you can come to class. We have two different programs. One's a one-year program. One's a three-year program. You don't have to wait in the registration line. Just show up next Tuesday. Um, you come to school one day a week. Wow. And, um, and so I was like, huh, that sounds okay. You know, <laughs> so... So I, first I signed up for the one-year program. At that point, I liked cooking, but I didn't think, I never thought I wanted to be like a chef with fancy uh -huh. stuff and, you know, all the yelling and all that, all <laughs> that business. And, um, and I uh, joined the one-year program and then pretty quickly into that realized that I really wanted more knowledge and so their three-year program was an apprenticeship-based model where you worked five days a week at a local property um, that had to be approved by the school. You turned in um, examples of your work from work mm -hmm. that were signed off by your chef um, and you have sort of had the whole battery of the kitchen to go through from from receiving goods and cleaning appliances to, you know, so stocks and sauces and soups. And so you had to sort of fill out this entire, over your three, over your three years, you had to fill out this entire book of things that you had done. It was a fabulous way to learn. I was going to say that's quite different than what I went, been going to culinary school as I, as I hear it. I mean, so this ability to actually work in an actual live restaurant uh, to learn your your trade sounds yeah, different it, than most models. Yeah, it was it, it it certainly than than a lot of models now. Yeah, and it was really it was a great way to learn, and it was a great way you know in the um, in the um, in the 
90s, you know, it was still in New Orleans, it's still pretty male-dominated industry. There were women, but not, you know, and there were some, there were a couple notable women chefs in town, but in most kitchens it was, you know, a bunch of dudes, and, uh, and so, you know, if you, if you were in the kitchen and you did something well, there wasn't really a culture that was like, hey, let's take this chick and teach her some more, you know, there was a little bit of like a, okay, you're doing a great job, good, keep, keep doing that, you know, that's great, <laughs> and because I was in school, and I, because I, I um, needed to, you know, I had, I had to fill out all this, you know, I had to, yeah, you know, I said, you know, hey, I could say, hey, it's time for me, I, or, you know, I need to, I need to learn a few other things, would you consider putting me on another station, and, Mm -hmm. and, you know, when I would say, you know, hey, I, I, I do need to fill out this school paperwork, and they had, they would have had, they signed a contract with the school, um, so it was just enough of a little nudge if they were, you know, you know, when, if you're, if, you know, working in a kitchen, if you have somebody who's doing something great or fine or whatever, it's working, you're kind of like, okay, that's great, it's working, let's not change anything. Um, and so it was, it was a great way to be able to move around the kitchen, learn different things. Um, it was a super awesome way, awesome way to learn. So that experience uh, was was when you really decided you wanted to be. Wait, did you have time? <laughs> did you have times where you just went, "I'm done. I got. I can't." Oh sure. <laughs> I mean, there. I mean, you know, when you're when you're, uh, you know, it's when you're getting yelled at by somebody <laughs> and and they're you know they're berating you and you know which is I mean not not everybody I worked for was like mm-hmm. that but it was. It was certainly still an acceptable practice. Well, it was certainly a lot PC just in general in the 80s and 90s, so it makes a little sense that the kitchen might still be a little, uh, not only sexist, but, <laughs> but uh, a little inappropriate right. as, as today's standards might be concerned. Right, <laughs> And but, you know, I mean, it's, it is a way people learn, and it is a way you learn quickly mm-hmm. if, if, you know, if somebody's really, like, coming down on your heart, you know, <laughs> and, you know, there would, sure, you know, early on, sure, there were, you know, there were um, times where I'd be like, you know, wanting to cry at work, and it's just, you know, and just being like, fuck yeah. this, you know, you know, but, um, well, but, you were a female, probably, you were like, I cannot cry here, right, <laughs> to- oh, totally, you would have been, oh, no way, yeah, no way, yeah, um, <laughs> But there, there's also, you know, there's also, in, in those situations, there's a lot of camaraderie. Because mm-hmm. um, if you can hack it. Right. And if you work your ass off, it's mm-hmm. all about, you know, working your butt off. And if you can work your butt off and, you're, and people aren't having to, you know, pull, you know, pull, pull more than their own weight. Mm-hmm. Um, everybody's working really hard. And it's really, it's hard work. It's hot. It's sweaty. It's especially in New Orleans. Um, so when you, you know, when you have a kitchen crew that's working well together, it's, there's nothing, there's nothing better. Um, so, so it was, it didn't take long before I just, you know, realized like, this is, you know, like, this is what I like to do. This is where I want to be. I want to be in a kitchen. Um, cooking food for people and 
um, I want to do it as a on a professional aspect as opposed to you know I'd always been a home cook and I had thought back when I was a home cook oh I don't want to do it as a career because then I won't like it anymore and and um, and for me that wasn't the case you know just sort of and still to this day I feel very fortunate to be able to work with food as my livelihood there's always something to learn um, and never never ends every every day is different even if you are doing the same things day in and day out there's 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 always factors that you have to account for that make every every day unique and different and um, and I just I feel very lucky to be able to work with food now what are your what are you doing now uh, so now I am able to open up a small takeout kitchen in North Park called California's Table. And it's my own business, so I'm really able to put into practice, um, you know, what, what sort of got started um, back, in, back in New Orleans even with wanting to use really nice ingredients and wanting, you know, and that, that history of vegetarianism and sort of <laughs> bleeding heart-ness. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, I'm really able to sort of work that into my business model. And so my, my shtick is, you know, to really use as many, and it's, you know, it's become sort of de rigueur in San Diego, you know, like farm to table and all, you know, and that everybody is sort of like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's almost become passe. Um, and there are and there are some there are great restaurants doing great things, and it's wonderful to see it sort of more blossom more. But it's also becoming some people are just sort of like, no, everything comes from a farm, you know. <laughs> um, but so with 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 my business, I'm able to really um, use the products that I want to use, and what's important to me really is. smallness and um, and the human element in things as opposed to a mass-produced anything mm -hmm. really um, and when you get when you have that smallness people aren't quite so anonymous and it becomes more difficult to um, take advantage of them when you're seeing them mm -hmm. and so now that I see the people who are producing the products I use on a regular basis, but there's, it's close enough that, you know, for me, I'm able to use, I'm getting these really great chickens from these guys in Temecula who are raising them on pasture, um, which is really, it's a, it's a step, it's a couple of steps beyond um, what Mary's or Jadori do. Um, and... Um, so you've got, you know, really extra, extra good chicken. And, um, and it's done on a small scale where, you know, you, it's these guys who are doing it. And, um, and so there's, there's less, you know, there, I mean, we're, everybody's becoming more aware of the large animal production and, mm -hmm. and what the problems that come with that. Um, 
we're, we're still, you know, in my circle, everybody's really aware, yeah. but in the greater circle, people aren't really aware of what, you know, where their bacon is coming from mm -hmm. and that it's coming from this gigantic operation mm -hmm. that's slaughtering 50,000 hogs a day mm -hmm. and creating a huge amount of waste. And I'm constantly reminded that in the culinary circle that we, we travel in, that we are not the norm, you know, because again, Facebook being the, you know, the life of, of news these days, someone had posted one of, you know, these videos of, of cows and, you know, how they are herded and then veal and how, you know, these mass farms are producing um, what comes to a lot of people's tables and in restaurants. And I was reading the comments and surprisingly, you know, and, and it, it said, uh, we had several people say, I'm going to turn, I just, I'm just going to become a vegetarian. And I thought, boy, we're really not seeing what's available right here. If that's your response to seeing something visually, uh, you know, offensive on your food, then you're really not seeing that there are options other than just a very, you know, a, a very staunch, I'm just not going to eat meat. No, we live in San Diego. Right. We have such, within a, you know, a very small, short drive, we do have access to farms and producers of our food that don't, that don't subscribe to that type of, of behavior that might uh, offend someone's sensitivities, et cetera. You know, so when I saw that, I thought, wow, okay, we've got to do a much better job at educating a larger populace, mm, mm -hmm. you know, that you do have options. This isn't the only way that people can farm. This is not the way we farmed 100 years ago. Right, You know, right. this is a relatively new concept. Uh, this is not two generations prior. So what I love about what you're saying about utilizing the smallness of what is accessible to you is you're not doing it on even a large-scale restaurant that's doing 150 covers a night. You're doing this for someone to come and bring home and there's a particular respect for that meal now because of its smallness. Yeah, 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 very much so. And, you know, there's, I mean, there's, there's a lot of talk now that, you know, oh, well, organic or farm to table or, you know, that it's elitist and, um, you know, it's not accessible to a large, it's not accessible or practical to the, a large part of the population. And... That's true. It is, it's very expensive still. Mm -hmm. I pay three times, at least minimum three times for my products that I use. And I have a model that where I'm, you know, it's difficult to classify what I'm doing because I use as much organic as possible, organic flour, organic, you know, it's, it's using Susie's Farm Produce and Shaner's Farms, you know, citrus and eggs. But it's also going, you know, using non-GMO canola oil and and um, and organic flour and not using baking powder because it has GMO corn in it and that sort of thing. Because I want I want people to have a place where they can come to have that experience. It's not the way they're going to eat every day. I still go eat at the taco shop. I know I'm eating a GMO <laughs> corn tortilla. Like you know, I'm still going to eat it. You know. Um, and I don't think it's practical for everybody to eat all that way all the time, but I think that for those of us who can afford it, I feel like wouldn't be wouldn't it be great if we could eat that way if there were the if there is that option out there um, 
to really eat something that is truly what you expect it to be in your mind, right? Right, right. <laughs> like it's truly like it is truly that picture of the cow in the pasture <laughs> on the milk carton and uh -huh. it's not just a greenwashed mm -hmm. item, which is another part of that whole industry where, you know, sure, horizon milk is organic, but it's still a large animal operation where it's operated just the same way as, you know, as a commercial dairy mm -hmm. is. And um, so it's well, and there's complex. So many, it is complex, and I think that there's so many different aspects to it. Um, but what you're doing, what are your, so how, how long are you open now? And I know that you're, so, you're going to be expanding. Right, so, so we're, we're starting, um, by the time this podcast airs, we will be open, we'll for sure be open for lunch. Please mm -hmm. check our website. We'll be opening for breakfast any day. Um, and um, for right now, we're just breakfast and lunch weekdays in North Park. Uh, we have a prepared meal service that you can order ahead of time, pick up, and, and keep in your fridge for when you're hungry and you need something nourishing <laughs> um, and nutrient-dense to eat. Um, and I'm assuming then you also prepare vegetarian meals uh, because this is something that you subscribe to early on. Right. So, so, we, we, I, so right now the proteins that we feature on a regular basis are the pasture bird chicken, um, American tuna company canned tuna, and tofu from San Diego soy dairy as well as some tempeh. Um, so we have a we always have a lot of vegetarian options that are um, I've lived in a family of vegetarians for a long time and so uh, I, that are you know vegetarian options that are more than just a grilled cheese sandwich or more than just a salad without the meat right um, and um, and then you know we uh, as specials we offer you know we'll run specials that are have feature grass fed beef or um, hopefully eventually you know some some locally raised pork. Um, so who, how many people are, are going to be running this operation with you? Is this, it's a, a, it's a very small operation. So, <laughs> so it really at the kitchen, it's, it's kind of like a stationary food truck. Uh, <laughs> I like that. Um, it, you can only fit three people in mm -hmm. the kitchen. So there's a, there's, there's a order taker. Sometimes there'll be Sometimes there'll be one cook. Mm -hmm. Sometimes there'll be a one cook or two cooks, and everybody washes dishes. Um, since it's a takeout model, um, we're able to. We will have. We will have a four here option for our table that is outside. Um, because communal table. Right. 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 Uh, because reducing waste is something that's super important to me as well. Um, but uh, we're we're able to operate in, in the small space with uh, with relative ease, and it makes it very efficient. If um, and we are keeping it, the menu simple. Um, we're house baking bread every day. We have a beautiful wow. ciabatta loaf um, because I wanted to be able to offer the main component of the sandwich or one of the main components of the sandwich to be organic. Um, there are a few organic bakeries in San Diego, but when you're starting a small business, everybody needs to run their business and, and minimums for ordering things are, can be tough to meet. And, um, and so after talking with Prager brothers and, and looking into a few different options, it just became 
apparent that we could do this on a small scale because we're a small operation and um, and a specialty operation, and this is what this is what we'll offer. You know, so until your growth is so is so much that you may need to have someone else do that piece for you. But for now, right, it's right, absolutely, off. yeah. Um, and so, yeah, so really it's sort of a from scratch takeout kitchen. So we're um, making our own mayo um, simply because, you know, a lot of people make their own aioli, but you want, I want mayo on my sandwich. <laughs> and it's, you can't get a good non-GMO mayo product that is, I like Best Foods Mayo. Mm-hmm. It's great they're using cage-free eggs now, but it's still GMO canola oil, and I want to be able to offer that alternative where for those people who are concerned about that, for me, the you know I'm not so much worried about, oh, am I going to have a higher exposure to chemicals because I'm eating GMO canola oil or something like that. It's not really so much that. It's more the bigger picture of when GMO products are used, the, the herbicides that are put on the crops, you know, they, it, has a, it has a broader impact and it's, and it's sort of taking away that aspect and trying to do the least harm possible. Yeah, if it's, if it's an option for you within your business model, I guess you do it because you can. Yeah. Well, you made a little snack for us today. What did you make? So we have um, a little bit of our ciabatta bread um, this is, we're just doing this sort of as crostini. This will be a sandwich, but so it's ciabatta bread with uh, a spiced pink kraut. It's cabbage and beets. And with, that's all made? Pink it's pink. all made here. Um, it's got a sort of Eastern European bratwurst seasoning almost to it, the sauerkraut. Um, and there's a little bit of house-made mustard, smoked Petaluma Creamery cheese, and so it has a sort of um, Reuben, it will be the, it's the Reuben-esque sandwich today without the meat, but uh, <laughs> it's the Reuben-esque sandwich components is, is, what, is what we have here. Fantastic. Now, you are within the community a lot, within all the chef communities and the purveyors and the producers of, of some of our local food here in San Diego. Um, so couple questions twofold when you go out to eat where do you like to go I still really love to go to Starlight mm-hmm. um, you know I know that they I know where they're getting their food uh-huh. and I know that I can trust it um, I, I I don't go out a lot mm-hmm. um, mostly because of time and money you know I still have a family life which is which is includes a teenager in high school and so it's it's easier to eat at home mm-hmm. in the evenings um, there's there's pomegranate in Golden Hill which I love to go to great Russian place um, there I love to go to the pupuseria and eat pupusas and the cabbage that? salad there's um, there's two of them El Salvadoreño um, runs both of them one is on university um, right near the 15, so mm-hmm. about, I want to say, 38th, and then one's on Imperial, and somewhere between 30th and 25th. Okay. Um, Are there any really great vegetarian restaurants that, that you feel do it well and right? Well, I mean, there's um, 
Kindred just opened up and I've been to eat there once and it was it was great. It was really it was everything was delicious. They did a really great job. I had a really awesome um mocktail there that was it was really nice to um have that option of a crafted beverage um with a lot of care and thought put into it that was non-alcoholic mm-hmm. and it wasn't just a it, they it wasn't just a second thought. Mm-hmm. Um and, um, but it's so loud there. Uh, <laughs> I do remember a place that used to be not part Boulevard, but was it called Bodie's or Bodies? Along there was a vegetarian restaurant mm. down in um, down in the Kensington area years and years ago. That might have been. Oh, uh, Yodi Bahangis. Yes. Yes. I haven't been there in a long time, and they're still it's there. Still they're still okay. yeah. They're still kicking. Yeah. It used to be just. Wonderful. I remember I went there um, religiously when I lived in the University Heights area. Mm, it was mm-hmm. one of my favorites for sure. But, you know, I I kind of didn't, I, I stopped eating a lot of the vegetarian, I've never been a vegetarian full time, you know, but I love the vegetarian food when done right. When I lived in Redondo Beach, Manhattan Beach, Venice area when I was very young, it, I didn't understand that there was vegetarianism or, or not. I just ate whatever my father brought me to, and he essentially you know, he introduced me to a lot of different foods. And so that was my first, when we moved to San Diego, my first real sort of home away from home when it came to that type of cuisine. Mm, where it mm-hmm. was still flavorful. It wasn't a salad on a plate with some, you know. Right. Was, I specifically went there to have those flavors and that, that sustenance, not because it was just a vegetarian restaurant, but because it was... It was pleasing to my palate, where you know it didn't. When the whole label of being a vegetarian um, dish didn't really mean anything to me. It was simply that's the type of food I like. I'm gonna go eat that today. Right. You know, right. not because I had some sort of mission to do this and things. So I'm really right. glad that there are some more options happening. Here. Yeah. You know, speaking of Indian food or Indian-oriented food, uh, I just went to. It's on Broadway downtown where Sushi Deli used to be a million uh-huh. years ago, um, Himalayan Dine-In. It was extraordinary. Okay. It was the best Indian food I've had uh, that we, I was eating with my wife, so we ate vegetarian, and um, it was the best vegetarian Indian food that I've had in years. I mean, it was it was... Really excellent. And Himalayan dine-in. Yeah. All right. And I may have to check that one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, Marguerite, thank you very so much for your time today. I do appreciate you taking the time out of your schedule while you're getting your brand new restaurant open. Do we have an ETA on an actual date? Um, y- yes. Um, next you're Wednesday. To tell me. Yeah. <laughs> next Wednesday, knock on wood. So hopefully by the time this airs, we will be open. So check us out. CaliTable.com is our website. Okay, perfect. And you guys are on Facebook too. And we're on Facebook too. Fabulous. So we can find specials that come up. Absolutely, yes. All right, wonderful. Well, thank you very much. Thanks for your so time. much, Marie. I appreciate it. Okay.